back to the Coffee and Bible Time podcast. For those that may be listening for the first time, our podcast is an offshoot from our main platform, YouTube. Our channel is called Coffee and Bible Time, where our goal is to help people delight in God's word. We also have a website and storefront with Bible studies, prayer journals, and more. I'm Mentor Mama, and today we are going to be talking about faith and work since the beginning of time. Our guest today, Jordan Rayner, author of the upcoming children's book called The Creator in You, will be giving us a fresh perspective on the creation account from the Bible's first book, Genesis, that helps readers see that the sixth day wasn't the end of creation, it was just the beginning. Jordan has written several books that give adults insight into the meaning of the purpose and value of work. You know, in fact, it was Jordan's book called The Master of One that I picked up during the pandemic that has really encouraged my decision to step out of corporate America and into doing full-time ministry at Coffee and Bible Time. And so his book just taught me to imagine how different my life would be if I spent my time doing the very thing that brings me the greatest joy. So I'm going to put that link to the book in our show notes as well. But I just wanted to give you that backstory. So to let you know just how much I respect Jordan and his ministry and his value of work. Well, in preparation for this interview, I went back and I reread the story of the creation in Genesis. And interestingly enough, I found a post-it note that I had put on the page quite some time ago, which is actually a quote from A.W. Tozer. And it's referring to Genesis 1 verse 9, which says, Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. So that verse, now Tozer says that these twin phrases as cause and effect occur throughout the Genesis story of creation. God spoke a book and lives in his spoken words, constantly speaking his words and causing the power of them to persist across the years. And I thought this quote was just so relevant to what we're going to be talking about in two ways. First, that here we are talking about the creation story again, thousands of years later. And secondly, to see the cause and effect of God creating man so that we can do the work that he has created us to do, ultimately to bring him honor and glory. So stay tuned for this exciting exploration into the creation of the world and what it means for our lives today. But first, a word from our sponsor. We still have our coupon code available for you guys if you wanted to do online counseling um, with Christian counselors. It's all online. It's via Zoom. You can pick who you want your counselor to be. Very reputable. They all have counseling degrees. So this isn't like some random on the internet. My mom kind of has a personal testimony to it. Yes. So I actually have done some counseling sessions with Faithful Counseling. And what I really loved about it was that you can actually put in like different qualities that you're looking for in a counselor and specialties, male, female, if they have experience tackling different issues. And so I really loved that idea that I could 
go through and kind of pick the one I wanted. And then um, during this COVID season, it was really applicable anyway, since I couldn't leave my house for counseling, that I actually could just do it online. And you even have the opportunity to do a Zoom type call with them, or you can just do um, a phone call, whatever works best for you. And so it was just really great to have access to counseling when you, when you need it, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if you guys want 10% off your first month of doing this, you can go to getfaithful.com slash coffee and Bible time, and you get 10% off your first month. And of course it is cheaper than traditional in-person counseling anyway. So overall, it's just a good deal. We really recommend it, but let's just get on to the podcast. Oh, Well, one other thing, too, is that you have the option of with your counselor that they are Christian counselors. And so if you want, they will actually pray for you, which I thought was so cool. At the end of each of my counseling, she prayed for me and my issues. Oh, wow. Thanks for that. Well, Jordan Rayner helps Christians respond to the radical biblical truth that their work matters for eternity. He does this through his best-selling books, The Creator in You, Redeeming Your Time, Master of One, and Called to Create, his podcast, which is called The Call to Mastery, and his weekly devotional, The Word Before Work. This content has served millions of Christ followers in every country on earth. In addition to his writing, Jordan serves as the executive chairman of Threshold 360, a venture-backed tech startup that Jordan previously ran as CEO following a string of successful ventures of his own. Jordan has twice been selected as a Google Fellow and served in the White House under President George W. Bush. A sixth-generation Floridian, Jordan lives in Tampa with his wife and their three young daughters. The Rainers are proud members of the Church of Odessa. Please welcome Jordan. Hey, Ellen, thanks for having me. Uh, it's so exciting for us to have you here because like I said, boy, we've known you since we started reading your uh, yeah. daily devotional that we get and uh, just we think your work is is fantastic. So, well, and vice so versa. Much. I I I am new to the coffee and Bible time community, but I got my Bible. I've got my coffee, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> and I'm all in on the coffee and Bible time train. All right, perfect, perfect. <laughs> well, I kind of just wanted to start, you know, at the beginning of your book. Yeah. So this is a children's book. It is yeah. incredibly beautifully illustrated. Uh, in the very first lines of the creator in you, you say, in the very beginning, a long time ago, God created the world so that we would all know that he himself is a working God, though you might think that sounds just a little bit odd. So why do you think it feels odd to think of God as working? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, frankly, because we never preach or sing about it in our churches today right? Um, you know, we talk a lot about how God is loving and holy and merciful and just and gracious. And of course he is all those things, but open your Bibles to Genesis 1.1. The very first thing that God of the universe wanted us to know about him is that he is a God 
who creates, a God who is, can we say, productive, a God who works. And oh, by the way, here's what I love about this. This is totally unique in the history of world religions. Every other religion says that the gods created human beings to do the menial labor of the world, to work and to serve the gods. Only the God of the Bible says, no, I work to serve you, to share my love with you, to share my glory with you. And that's radical. It gives, it gives untold dignity and meaning to the work that we do as his image bearers. And so short answer to your question, why do we think it's odd to hear that God works? We don't talk about it. And that's part yeah. of the reason why I wrote The Creator in You, to play a small part in fixing that problem. Mm-hmm. And I love how this will be teaching children from a very young age, the value of work. Well, how is God's work like and unlike our own work? Yeah, this is a great question. We got to get this crystal clear because when we say God works, we got to point out he works totally unlike us, right? Genesis 1-2 tells us that the earth was formless and void. Then God simply said, let there be light and there was light, right? As I say in the book, with just a few words, he made creatures appear like polar bears, penguins, alpacas, and deer, uh, by the way, I still don't know what an alpaca is. I have no <laughs> idea how that got into the book, but there it is. So oh. only God creates out of nothing, right? But scripture also tells us he creates out of something, right? In Genesis 2, it says that God, quote, planted a garden in the east. So gone is the God said, and it was so language of Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, we see him not just working with his words, but working with his hands. And interestingly, the Hebrew word used to describe God's work in Genesis is this word malaka, which is the exact same word that Moses uses to describe human work later in the Old Testament. What's the point? I think Moses and the writers of scripture wanted us to see, number one, God works unlike us, but number two, he also works like us. Because when we understand that, we can better envision how we can work and create and live in God's image as a means of reflecting his glory in the world. Hmm. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, truly the fact that we have both of those situations that you just described, like and unlike. Yeah. And like, listen, and- like you, you, you want to make the one true God uh, winsome and attractive to people who work with their hands, to blue collar workers. Tim Keller says the God of the Bible in Genesis one and two did quote manual labor, strong statement from one of the most respected pastors in the modern church, but he's right. God's working in Genesis two with his hands. And that should lead us and our kids to view the work of gardeners and garbage collectors and uh, waiters and waitresses as equally dignified as the work of computer mm. programmers and CEOs and pastors. Mm. Amen. And and really, that's what I wanted to kind of explore more. You know, what your vision for writing this book for children and yeah. tell us a little bit about your thought behind wanting to create this book so that kids could yeah. have it. 
Yeah, you touched on it in the introduction. You, you really hit on the core reason why I wanted to do this. Um, I've got three young daughters, seven, mm-hmm. five, and, and two. <laughs> and I'm, I don't know, we must own 10 books on the creation account of Genesis 1. And they drive me nuts because they all follow the same predictable pattern, right? God created this on day one. He created that on day two, day three, four, five, six, the end. Here's why they drive me nuts. Day six wasn't the end of creation. Day six is the beginning. The world was still largely blank, largely void. Day six is when God passed the baton to his children and said, go create like me, right? And so I wanted a children's book that got to day six real early in the narrative. There's this line in the book that says, um, after, after the kids are watching God create with his words and with his hands, it says, and now you might think that our story is ending. But in fact, this is just the beginning because God made you to look like him, to act and work and create with him. Because while in six days, God created a lot, there are so many things that he simply did not. Like bridges and baseballs, sandcastles and s'mores, God asked us to create and fill the planet with more, right? So that's the core message of this book. Yeah, God created it. It's amazing. But he passed the baton to us on day six and said, fill the earth and subdue it. And I think when our kids get this at an early age, man, it changes the way they think about their chores or their homework or the art projects they do around the house. And Lord willing, I think it's going to cause them to view their future work, their future careers with God-ordained purpose and joy. Learn what theology is and how to study God within the Bible in course number seven of our In-Depth Bible Study Academy. In this academically built course, you will learn the tools to study God's character and nature within a Bible passage and how to grow closer to God relationally through Bible study. This course titled Theology, Knowing God Through In-Depth Bible Study is packed with teaching lessons, homework, quizzes, and a resource list for personal study. Head to our website, coffeeandbibletime.com, to learn more about the Academy and course number seven today. Use promo code CBT Podcast, that's CBT Podcast, to get 50% off this course right now at coffeeandbibletime.com. Yes. And, and I love how you're getting this into their hands at a young age. You're also helping parents who haven't thought of this yet, right? They have those 10 books sitting probably on their kids' shelves, and they haven't thought of this aspect. What, what a beautiful thing. Is yeah, this book is a Trojan shaping. horse. It's a Trojan horse for parents, right? Like it is. <laughs> like, I, I, like, I, you know, I, I've, I've been writing these nonfiction books and doing podcasts for the last few years, and- yeah, it just came to the place where I was like, number one, I want kids to get it. But this is also a means of getting a good theology of work in the hands of parents who aren't going to read a nonfiction book, who aren't going to listen to a podcast. So somebody told me the other day, um, they're like, man, the artwork in this is so epic, so beautiful. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a Pixar movie mm-hmm. in that it inspires five-year-olds, but it also makes 55-year-olds weep. And I'm like, 100%. That was the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Pixar. That's the standard. 
Hey, this is Mentor Mama, and I have an incredibly practical tip for all our listeners. With over 130 orders I've already placed on Instacart, I can't tell you enough how much I absolutely love Instacart. If you hate going grocery shopping or always end up coming home with way more items than were on your list, which of course blows your budget, then Instacart is for you. I actually save both time and money using Instacart. I save time shopping because the app keeps track of all my regular purchases, making each subsequent order super fast to enter on my app. I also save time by avoiding checkout lines and driving to and from the store. In addition to saving time, I have saved so much money because I don't get seduced by every new flavor or product on the shelf. My grocery bills have been considerably less. So, if you want to make shopping easy, get delivery via Instacart in as fast as one hour, and get your first delivery free, click the link in our description and start today. Well, one of the sort of the implicit messages of the creator in you is that work existed before sin. And thus... You know, it was once perfect worship, yet so many adults hate their jobs today. And kids, you know, don't like doing their homework and chores. So what hope does the scripture hold for people who are facing those thoughts? Oh, man, Um, the hope of scripture. And we don't see this in Genesis 1 and 2 because work's not broken yet. But is that one day work's going to be perfect worship once again. If work was a part of God's perfect world in Genesis 1 and 2, and God says he's going to make all things new in eternity in the kingdom of heaven, that has to include our work, right? And oh, by the way, Isaiah 65 tells us this explicitly, right? The prophet Isaiah is giving this prophetic vision of the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And he says this in Isaiah 65, 21 through 23. He says, they, these are God's people, will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. And here it is. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. Mm. They will not labor in vain. So you hate your job today? You hate your homework? Man, that's not the way work was intended to be. And there's coming a day in which that's not going to be true. When you're going to long enjoy the work of that you've got to do for eternity alongside King Jesus. And if you love your work, man, let this fuel your hope, right? Heaven is not us floating on clouds as disembodied <laughs> souls doing nothing but singing for all eternity. Yes, we're going to be worshiping forever, but worship, as we see in Genesis 1 and 2, includes the work that God and we do with our hands. So look forward expectantly to that day when it's going to be perfect again. Yes. And that really, truly should be of tremendous encouragement, maybe to people who are, you know, struggling with maybe they... They are doing a job because they have to, and it pays the bills, but hopefully they're also finding other outlets to um, use the gifts that God's given them. And I don't think God wants us to hate our jobs, right? Right. right. We're his children. 
Yes. Uh, and so if there's opportunity in this life to do something more in line with your gifts, to do something that brings others and eventually you joy, this is why I talk about master of one, as you mm-hmm. know, Helen, mm-hmm. do it, right? But if you can't, and for a lot of people, uh, tragically, that's an economic impossibility yeah. to choose what they're going to do in this world. And for those people, uh, you know, I'm like, good Isaiah 65 rest in the hope that God's making all things new. And one day you're going to long enjoy the work of your hands. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, kids love talking about what they want to be when they grow up. (laughs) Yeah. How how do you think the creator in you will start to shape their answers to that question? Yeah. My hope is that it just vastly expands the horizons of which types of work can honor and glorify God right? If we believe that God works, that he is an artist and a creator before he is a preacher, that should vastly expand the aperture of the types of jobs we think we can do for the glory of God and the good of others. I say towards the end of the book, it says, um, create new businesses and movies, medicine and hope, make laws or computers or a new telescope, because when you work and you make something new, you're doing what God has made you to do, right? You're showing the world what your father is like, mm-hmm. a God who creates to bring people to light, right? So one of my dreams of this book and for the rest of my work is that kids will graduate high school, right? Seeing, their, seeing careers as programmers, as pastors, and as plumbers, as equally capable of advancing the kingdom of God. And I think this book, The Creator and You, can be the seed uh, that starts to germinate and grow that idea in our kids' minds at a really early age. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, um, I I love the example in the Bible about, you know, this obscure artist named Bezalel. Yeah. And honestly, one of the, my favorite Bible studies I ever did was on the tabernacle. Yeah. So why don't you share with us, you oh, know, man. you've written elsewhere. It sounds like you should share this. No, <laughs> I, I want to hear your, your version here of this artist and what's the story here and what does it mean for us? Yeah. So Exodus 31, God is giving Moses these crazy detailed plans for building the tabernacle, further underscoring the fact that we worship a creative God who cares deeply about the work of human hands, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's this beautiful scene where God says, uh, it's Exodus 31 verse one, he says, see, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God. Why? to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. This is fascinating. This is the mm. only person in the Old Testament that we are told was filled with the spirit of God. And why? To make things. And this makes all the sense in the world because as we saw in Genesis 1, our God is a God who creates and makes things, right? So the spirit of God doesn't just enable us to preach. It enables Bezalel and us to create culture, right? And I love this. I just read this in a commentary the other day. Bezalel's name means, quote, in the shadow of God. 
Mm-hmm. It makes all the sense in the world, right? Yes. Because God's a God who creates. So what does this mean for us? I mean, listen, three quick things. Number one, all humans are creative because we're made in the image of a creative God, right? Mm-hmm. Number two, some of us like Bezalel are going to have an extra dose of creativity, right? Yes. And then number three, Exodus 31 and Bezalel just reminds us that creative work is God-ordained work. It's not a fringe thing. Beauty is not a nice to have. It is commanded and ordained by the God of the universe. Yes. And don't we see that starting in God's creation and his beauty and so many things, animals and places and landscapes, and it's just all over. And then the beauty of how God gives each person on this planet unique skills and abilities. And I I was just thinking, honestly, the other day, I'm so glad that God put it within people to want to be tax accountants, because as I was pulling together all my tax documents, I'm like, for the life of me, I could never ever do this. I'm so glad he created people that Lord, can. thank you for CPAs. Yes. Thank you. Oh. Yes. As, as somebody who's married to one, I'm oh. very grateful for those CPAs. No, but really, right? Like it's, it's, you know, it's so funny. I think we've gotten to this place um, where we value utility over everything. And everything has to have a purpose. Everything has to have a function. Yeah, look at Genesis 1. There's 17,500 species of butterflies in the world. That can't serve a functional purpose, right? But God creates with gratuitous beauty, needless Mm. beauty, purposeless beauty, right? And Mm -hmm. that should mark the life of the church. Going out in the world and creating a new creation with excessive beauty that just points to the goodness and the beauty and the glory of God. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, let's talk a little bit about Jesus and how, you know, as a carpenter and what does his vocation and looking at him and his life mean for us? Yeah. I mean, listen, given the conversations we have in the church today, which implicitly, and I think a lot of times explicitly says that the work of religious professionals is more eternally significant than the work of marketers and plumbers yeah, the fact that Jesus spent the majority of his adult life working as a carpenter should stop us dead in our tracks. Like God knew from the beginning of time, the ultimate purpose for Jesus coming to earth. And with that truth in view, you would think that God would have put him in a priestly household, like John the Baptist, mm-hmm. where he would have spent all day praying. Maybe it would have made sense for Jesus to grow up in the home of a Pharisee like Paul. We could focus on studying the scriptures all day long. But instead, he placed him in the home of essentially a small business owner where he spent his days making things with his hands. And on the surface, I think that looks shocking. But again, look back at Genesis 1. I would argue this is the least surprising thing in all of scripture because the work of Jesus's earthly father is mirroring the work of his heavenly father, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think by putting him in the, 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 the workshop of a carpenter, God is just winking us and saying, hey, I'm reaffirming the goodness of regular old work, right? And, and reminding you that working with your hands uh, is doing God's work. And oh, by the way, 
Jesus reaffirmed this when he called his disciples, right? When he launched the kingdom of God, Jesus didn't call the religious professionals. He chose fishermen and tax collectors, right? What does that mean for us? It means the work you do today. It's not secular. It's not secondary. It is good. It is God-like. And it is the work that God typically chooses to help bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. Yes, it's so true. And I just would say to our listeners, if there's any of you that haven't seen The Chosen, like this gives you a great opportunity to actually see Jesus, you know, as a carpenter and how he is using work to sustain himself. Um, and so just a little I sense. love the way it's portrayed. Yes. yes. In The Chosen. It's, yes. It's just real. It makes yeah. you really understand. It's here, and we are so excited. Our new Patreon online community is finally open, and you're invited to join us. Your support is so appreciated and important. In fact, it's what allows us at Coffee and Bible Time to continue on with our ministry. We thank you in advance for your support. Well, you've written before about the parallels between Adam and Eve gardening in Eden which we see alluded to in the creator in you and Jesus being mistaken for the gardener at the resurrection. So what's the connection there and what does it mean for us and our kids? I think this is the most beautiful and one of the least explored symbols in all of scripture. Um, John chapter 20, we read it every Easter. Uh, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene after the resurrection. And she turns around and she mistakes him for the gardener. We like breeze past this detail and we like keep reading. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to the theologian uh, N.T. Wright one day and he was like, Jordan, this is 100% intentional. He's like, do not miss this. He's like, what's happening here? God is pointing us back to the first garden. Think about it. Genesis 1, God inaugurates the first creation, but he doesn't finish it. Again, sixth day, not the end of creation, it's the beginning. And he calls Adam to garden it and to fill it, right? Now at the resurrection, we have the last Adam inaugurating the eternal kingdom of God. And here he is being mistaken as a gardener, right? Mm -hmm. And just like the first Adam had his pride Eve to help him cultivate and garden the first creation, Jesus, the gardener, the last Adam has his bride, the church, you and me to help him cultivate the final one. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think this symbol is a beautiful reminder of what Jesus said throughout his entire ministry. The kingdom is not going to come in one fell swoop. It's going to come slowly. And at least in part through the work of the Holy Spirit working through you and me the church, right? We are a part of cultivating the kingdom, of gardening the kingdom by telling other people that Jesus is king, by fighting injustice, by making this world more beautiful. All of that work done in the power of the spirit can be kingdom work. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that work done in the spirit, in the Lord is not in vain. I don't know how it's not in vain. I have no idea how God's going to take our labor and work it into his final redemptive plans. 
but the promise is pretty clear in scripture. And so I just love this picture of Jesus, the gardener. Every time I see it, I'm reminded, right. God didn't, God could have brought the kingdom in full on Easter morning, just like he could have brought all the creation on day six, mm-hmm. but he didn't. He's choosing to do that work through you and me. Wow. That is incredible. And I've, I've never thought of it like that either. Yeah. Or, I mean, that's always been a perplexing passage to yeah. me and kind of thinking, well, he's been resurrected and I, it, it seemed plausible that people might not recognize him, even though Mary had walked with him for a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, so that is phenomenal. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So in, in, as we sort of get to wrapping things up, what are you hoping kids will do as a response to the creator in you? Yeah, I think immediately I want them to make something, right? Uh, and so the whole last third of the book shows uh, the kids doing it, it. It tells them to grab a blank sheet of paper and create with their hands or drop some plants for a lemonade stand. It tells them to roll up their sleeves and build epic tree forts and someday build cities and towers and ports. So we, had, we actually built a, a website on the back end of the book that gives kids tons of free activities to just, as soon as they're done reading, go create something great, right? Uh, and then I think long-term, again, I touched on it before, I'm praying that they remember this book when they're teenagers, when they're graduating high school, when they're in college, and they remember all of the different ways, all of the different ways that they could serve God, serve others and bring glory to God. So short-term, go make something. Long-term, I pray that every student who graduates high school, graduates college and has read this book would view their work as a full-time missionary. Whatever that job is, would view their work as a means of advancing the kingdom and revealing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, absolutely. And, and how about parents? So what can we do? Woo. What would you suggest? Yeah. Well, in terms of a response to the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And helping our thing. kids. Yeah, yeah. I think the same thing, right? I, I, I think one thing I've been thinking a lot about lately with, with my girls is how do I help them understand these truths? How do I help them see the the thing that they're going to spend 45 to 50 hours a week doing for the majority of their life as connected to God's purposes for the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think we could be, frankly, reading Genesis 1 and 2 to our kids, right? It's a pretty, sure. pretty good start. Uh, yep. And then I, I think the other thing I've been thinking about is like just talking about the things I love about my work. It's mm-hmm. easy to talk about the things that we hate, right? <sighs> And this language seeps in all the time. It's like, oh, thank God it's Friday. Or <laughs> mommy can't wait for the weekend, right? And like, listen, yeah. like, I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about our challenges. Work is yes. hard. Genesis 3, uh, the thorns and thistles. Mm-hmm. But we also should be celebrating the good. Hey, kids, uh, mommy made a killer presentation at work today. And it felt so good. Or, or, mm-hmm. or hey, guys, dad... Um, Dad helped a customer solve a problem today. And man, it just reminded me of Jesus telling us to love our neighbors as ourselves. That, that's what it felt like. That kind of language, which I don't think is hard. It's like real, real, real simple, but just talking about work in a positive light and connecting mm-hmm. it to God's purposes for the world. 
Absolutely. You know, my, my boss is retiring on April 1st and after it's not an April fool's joke. It's not, it's not. And he's been there 40 years, but I think one thing that he's done so remarkably well, and I think it just ties so beautifully in here is that he did his work very well but he also knew everybody personally. He cared about the people that he worked with. He invested in getting to know them. It wasn't just always get down to business and like, you're just a means to the ends of getting work done. No, he took the time. And, and I think that for me as a parent too, that's something that I really want to always stress with my kids is take time to see people ask them questions about their lives. And yes. And look at Genesis one, human beings are the crown jewel of God's creation. Right. And we gotta be careful here. I think a lot of Christians believe that people are the only thing that God's going to redeem. And that's not true. He's going to make all things new. Um, But what an opportunity if you're listening right now and, and you work in corporate America or you work serving customers, cleaning pools every day, whatever it is you do, you're interacting with other image bearers. And to cite the cliche of all cliches, you may truly be the only Jesus they ever see. Yes, And that's a heavy responsibility and a great privilege to show them what God is like by working with excellence, but also working with love, right? Not just love of the work, but love of the people that you're serving in the work and taking the time to look them in the eye and care for them as people to make winsome and attractive Jesus, the King. Amen. That's a great note to end it on. And how about, how can people find out more information about you, Jordan? Yeah. So we get tons of free resources for you at jordanrainer.com, a weekly devotional that, that, that expounds upon these themes. Obviously the creator in you, you can get on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Although I'll warn you, uh, and this is not false scarcity. We're almost out of stock. So uh, if it says temporarily unavailable, go ahead and buy it, get your spot in line because my publisher is printing a lot more copies. Don't worry about that. And if you get the book, um, we're doing something really fun. If you go to jordanrainer.com, plug in your kids' names and your address, I'm going to send them a handwritten, beautifully decorated sticker to them. So it'll say to Ellen, may you Mm. always abound in the creativity of the father. I'm going to sign it. And so they could stick it right there in the front of their book. And if your kids are like mine, the two things they love most in this world are number one, receiving physical mail and number two stickers. So we're just going to crush it with this pre-order. Bonus. Oh, yeah. oh, I love it. Yeah. I just, I want to encourage any of you that are listening. This, this book is absolutely gorgeous. It's, it will make it huge impact on your your children's lives. So just want to encourage you. We will definitely have links in our show notes. Before we go, Jordan, we asked some of our guests just a couple questions yeah, here. I love these questions. Um, yeah. So what Bible do you use and which translation is it? All right. So I'm doing something new. Uh, I've been reading NIV, good old NIV for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was actually my friend, Mark Batterson, who convinced me to start changing things up. He reads through the Bible in a different translation every year. Ooh. I was like, oh, I love that. Yeah. Uh, so that the word, you're just making different connections or whatever. So I, I just switched to ESV 
uh, I'm using the Thomas Nelson leather bound ESV study Bible. And I love it. It's actually a really, really great Bible. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any favorite journaling supplies or anything that you like to use to enhance your Bible study experience? Yeah. I just use whatever moleskin I've recently received in the mail. <laughs> you get a lot of those as like swag gifts. So I just use a moleskin uh, and, you know, whatever pen I can find around the house, which if I'm being totally honest, nine out of 10 mornings, it's a Disney princess pen. Uh, so it's a pretty Love manly that. experience oh, at my dining boy. room table. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> and how about lastly, what's your favorite app or website for Bible study tools? Yeah, I used the Logos Bible app for a long time. It, it, it's pretty intense. Honestly, yes. most of the time I'm using biblehub.com. Yep. It's so great and so rich and so many good tools there. So I love both of those tools. Yes. Both of those are awesome. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for being here today. Congratulations on your new book being released the week of April 19th. And for our listeners, you can pick up a copy of Jordan's book. We will have it uh, linked in our show notes. And lastly, head over to the Coffee and Bible Time website for our prayer journals that will help guide and document your prayer life at coffeeandbibletime.com. Thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. We love you all. Have a blessed day.